The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Today, as was the case last week, in a John the Baptist story, Matthew in his Gospel tells us a story with a seemingly kind of unlikely development that John the Baptist had a moment where he had some doubts about Jesus. Today, With Matthew once again as our storyteller, we have another Bible story that we only hear once every three years because Matthew is the only one who tells it. It's the story of the promises of God and the pregnancy of Mary and the birth of Jesus as experienced from the perspective of Joseph. It's a perspective we actually have hardly any of, because, well, let me tell you another story. Pastor Jenny, a former colleague, was doing a children's sermon at the children's Sunday school program, and what she did was act like a TV news reporter who was doing this on-the-spot live report from the manger, the stable in Bethlehem, and she walked in to the, to the, to the stable where was gathered now the entire cast of the, of the Christmas story. With a microphone in her hand, she went up to Joseph, who that year was played by the fifth grader, um, it was always a fifth grader, and it was Michael who played it that year, and she put his microphone, her microphone in front of him said, so, so Joseph, what's going on here? Michael said, I was told this was a non-speaking part. (laughs) By the way, in the you can't make this stuff up department, Michael is now a TV news reporter. (laughs) All right, back to Matthew. One of the reasons we know so very little about Joseph's perspective is that in the entire, entire Bible, his is a non-speaking part. 
Because unlike angels and, and wise men and shepherds and Mary in the Christmas story, in fact, in all the pages of Scripture, there is not one single mention of anything Joseph ever said. In fact, if you take into account his non-speaking roles and scenes as well, there are actually only just even a few mentions of Joseph in the Bible at all. Unlike his wife, he is not mentioned years down the road when his son starts to do everything he would do as an adult. Mary is mentioned then. Joseph is not, which leads some to the assumption that Joseph had died by then. Which leads a few to the assumption that Joseph was perhaps older than his 14 or 15 year old bride. I say 14 or 15 year old bride because we do know that in those days when a woman, a young girl, woman was physically able to have children, she was betrothed and married and started having children generally with the man to whom her father had promised her. Had Mary's father, Joachim, tradition says his name was, had Mary's father promised his daughter in marriage to an older man, perhaps an older man who was an experienced tradesman with an established trade and who therefore could certainly take care of his daughter, provide for her? There are traditions that speculate that. But we don't know that. We do know that Joseph was a carpenter. In the Bible, Jesus is referred to as a carpenter's son. Surely, father and firstborn over the years spent more than a few hours down in the shop. Little, little Jesus, Yeshi, little Jesus, sweeping up behind his dad. Little Jesus, Yeshi, helping his dad. Daddy, can I do that? <laughs> little Jesus, Yeshi, imitating his dad. Look, Daddy, I did it all by myself. And do you wonder if ever, little Jesus, do you suppose one time? One time picking up a nail that he found on the floor and holding it in his hand and, and he gets kind of a far off look in his eyes until his father says, yes, she, are you okay? And he snaps back to the present and he smiles at his dad. We also know Joseph was a Jewish dad who no doubt saw that his son was raised in the Jewish scriptures. We're left to imagine, however, what might have crossed his mind ever as he, as he taught the word of God to the Son of God, the word in the flesh. There are actually only two stories in the Bible, two stories in all of Scripture in which Joseph is the primary character. The one takes place after his son's birth when, warned by a dream that King Herod's soldiers were coming after the newborn king because they perceived him as a threat and their intent was to rid the world of him, Joseph took his wife and his son to Egypt where they lived as immigrant refugees until Herod died. And the other of the two Bible stories featuring Joseph is that story we just heard that story in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, where Joseph finds out that his young bride-to-be was pregnant. This much is absolutely clear. Only two people, only two people 
Mary and Joseph knew one thing as an absolutely certain fact, and that is that Joseph wasn't the father of Mary's little one. They had not yet been together in that way. Mary alone knew as a fact, and she asked Joseph to believe that she was yet a virgin. And her pregnancy was an act of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, and surely not a single one of us who even spends a tiny moment putting ourselves in his shoes will fault him for this. Joseph didn't believe it. What impresses me is what he did do even without believing it. Matthew 1.19, Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. A few words of explanation. In those days, a man and a woman engaged or betrothed to each other were in a relationship that was as binding as marriage. To break the engagement required the equivalent of a divorce. Also in those days, the engaged couple, though legally bound to each other, were not to live with each other or have sexual relations with each other. That was reserved for marriage. Also in those days, to have sex with someone else, someone other than the person you were engaged to, was adulterous. And the punishment for adultery was death. Stoned to death. Joseph didn't believe Mary. How could he have believed Mary? When she told him the news, he knew, he knew what they hadn't done. And therefore, he knew what Joseph and another man surely must have done. Imagine the wound in his heart. The sense of betrayal in his heart. The anger in his heart. Can you imagine how easily, deeply hurt he could have responded in kind? Dragging her into the street, shouting, adulteress, adulteress, and then picking up the first of the stones that would now be thrown at her until she was dead. And the law would be on his side. By law, killing her would have been legal. It would have been the right thing to do. But Joseph, though by all rights he could have done that, didn't do that. Instead, says Matthew, he resolved to dismiss her, divorce her, quietly sparing her shame, hoping apparently to spare her life. Because why? Because he was a righteous man, Matthew says, which unfortunately is often is often understood to mean self-righteous, judgmental, holier than thou. No, no, not Joseph. Joseph was righteous in the true sense of the word, righteous with a heart whose heart beat pulsed with the love of God. God who in that holy child whose own heart beat even already now was beating with its own beat in Mary's womb. God who through that child would reach to a fallen world not with law and condemnation, but with mercy and with love. Joseph could, by all rights, 
have destroyed Mary. Instead, he resolved to show mercy to Mary. Thinking about that leads me to think of a different biblical scene to play out 30 plus years down the road, a scene in which a woman caught in the very act of adultery, says John, was dragged out to Joseph's son's feet. And the judgmental, holier-than-thou, self-righteous say to Jesus, Teacher, the law says she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And he said, do you remember? Let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. I read that story of Joseph and Mary in Matthew 1, and I think of that story of Jesus and this, that adulteress in John 8. And, and then what I imagine is that the mercy shown by Jesus in John 8 is actually mercy shown by one whose heart beat with the same merciful pulse as that of both of his fathers, his father in heaven and his father Joseph. Back to Joseph, the decision to divorce or dismiss Mary was a decision he apparently reached at night. Before acting on it, therefore, he slept. And when he did, according to Matthew 1.20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this will fulfill what the prophet said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And Joseph awoke, and he did as the Lord commanded. He took Mary to be his wife, but, says Matthew, he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son And he named him Jesus. Fathers in those days were the ones to name the children. And in doing so, what they were saying was, This child is mine. I was thinking, the angel, says Matthew, spoke to Joseph in a dream in which the angel quoted Bible verses to him. Verses from our first reading today, from Isaiah. Verses about a virgin having a son who would be more than a son. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. Which got me thinking about how angels do or don't speak to us today. Which got me wondering, do you think we would hear angels more often or more clearly if we knew God's words so well that it started to become part of our dreams? Then I got to thinking, too, that dream that God gave Joseph to dream immediately became something more than Joseph just dreamed. It became something he up and did. When he awoke, got up, and took Mary to be his wife and took her firstborn to be his own. Now, surely, this was not the first time ever in Nazareth that a betrothal period had been shortened. And a wedding date had been moved up. And then a child had been born, what? In seven months or so, the little one came a little early. There would have been rumors and gossip 
and shame in the eyes and hearts of some, rumors and gossip and shame, which now, of course, would be about Joseph too, even though he had done nothing to deserve such, except to do what he did to save the life of his beloved and her child, whom he now adopted and would raise and love as his own. Which got me thinking how that child, sometime apparently after his adoptive dad's death, and dreaming not a dream, but dreaming the greatest of all dreams, a dream more powerful than even the power of death or sin or shame, would allow himself to be shamed and put to death as a sinner, even though he'd done nothing to deserve such, except to do all that he did to save, to adopt as his own, all the sin broken in this broken, but God, oh, still so loved world. Let us pray. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come save us and our sin-broken world. And by the power and leading of your Holy Spirit and your holy angels, dream in us and dream with us the dreams we can awake and up and do so that through us your love can do what you dream can be done by us for you and for others. Amen.